celebrating a birthday today? Would you raise your hand if you're celebrating a birthday today? Bill McNabb is celebrating a birthday today. Got you. All right. <laughs> Let's prepare our hearts and minds to worship God now as we listen to the prelude. together now in the call to worship that's printed in the bulletin. The bread of life. 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 Let us worship God.
let's join our hearts together now in prayer. Holy God, as we come to this place today, we pray that you will meet us as we are, where we're coming from, where we're going, where we are right now. Holy God, so often we ask you to be present to us when we ourselves need to be present to you. And so we pray that you, by your spirit, will guide us to be open to your presence, open to your comfort, open to your challenge, open to your mercy and grace, and open to your challenge for us to go out and and be the people that you've made us to be, followers of Jesus Christ, servants of the Lord, brothers and sisters in faith. God, meet us now by your Holy Spirit as we enter a time of silent prayer. And from out of the silence, God's people say together, Amen. Let's pray together now the prayer of preparation and confession. That's in the bulletin. Holy God, you are the great inviter, always extending a welcome to us. Yet so often we respond with caution, fearful of what may be required of us. We respond with narrow delight, hoping the invitation is only meant for us and not for them. We respond hesitantly, not trusting fully in your expansive love and amazing grace. We respond with excuses, waiting to make a commitment or to be sure that we're ready. Merciful God, release us from the grip of fear and guilt. Enable us to respond to your invitation to pray, to give, and to serve. And help us follow the example of Jesus in all areas of our lives. Amen. Brothers and sisters, the good news of today, of this day, and of every day of your life is that in Jesus Christ, God does forgive you, God accepts you, God promises to be with you wherever you go and to help you to follow the example of Jesus and how you live your lives. We can't do it on our own, but in Jesus Christ, God's Spirit guides us to be who we were made to be. Receive that good news, live it out, pass it on, and be at peace. Let's stand and greet those that are around us. We welcome you to worship this day. If you happen to be seated on the inside aisle, if you'll take the pew pad and uh, sign yourself in, pass it on down. If you're visiting with us today, special welcome to you. There's a place on the pad where you can give us your contact information. And there are also cards in the pews for prayer requests as well. Announcement-wise, during this month of July, our children are staying with us in the sanctuary during the worship service. There is a breather in the Just Breathe class. There is an opportunity for service on the 13th of July. The, uh, that's the next Hope Cafe. That's the homeless feeding program that the city team runs in Oakland. It's a wonderful opportunity to give a meal to homeless people. You can sign up to be a part of that. There's an announcement about grateful gatherings on August 24th, and then City Team is doing a drive to collect backpacks and school supplies for children, so that every kid going to school in the fall has a backpack. There is an announcement there about the kind of things that they need to go into these backpacks. If you want to participate in that, the list is there for you. There's also an announcement about giving online and about the prayer boxes that are out in the courtyard as well.
text this morning comes from the, uh, the end of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Paul, when he writes these letters, starts off with theology. He talks to people about God, uh, doctrine, issues. But at the end of the letters, he almost always gives practical advice. Because remember, these were young churches. It was new to be a Christian community, and many people didn't quite know what to do, so he gives them advice at the end of his letters as to how to be the church. And so here's the advice that he gives to the Ephesians. Therefore, putting away falsehood, let everyone speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands, so that he may be able to give to those in need. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for edifying, as fits the occasion, that it may impart grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, in whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And from the first letter of Peter comes a wonderful reminder of who you are as an individual and who we are together as a church. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, that you may declare the wonderful deeds of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were no people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. May the Lord bless to our hearts and our minds this reading of his word. <clears throat> William Willimon reminded me of the famous quote of Oscar Wilde. Oscar Wilde said that the worst advice you could offer anybody is just be yourself. I mean, really, who wants nothing more to guide us in life than ourselves? Remember the roly-poly bear in the movie The Jungle Book? He sings the song that says, all you got to do is act naturally. Really? Is that all? I mean, don't we need something else to guide ourselves with? But curiously enough, that is the theme of this sermon. Just be yourself. Let me explain a little bit. I don't really enjoy telling you to just be yourself because... Well, I'm a preacher, and my job is to tell you what God wants you to do and be and not do and be. And, and frankly, if it's just be yourself, then I'm out of a job. And so I don't like that. But um, preaching has come to be seen uh, in, in a weird way. Um, if somebody says to you, hey, don't preach to me, is that a positive or a negative thing? It's not positive, is it? Preaching has come to be known as scolding, belittling, berating. That's what people have come to expect of their preachers. Remember once uh, 
long time ago at one of my first churches, a man, I asked a guy what he, his critique of my sermons was, and he said, well, you know, you don't step on our toes enough. He said, you're the preacher. You're supposed to tell us where we've gone wrong and tell us what we need to do to get it right. He was one of those people that come to church for a weekly scolding, and he just didn't feel comfortable if he didn't get it. He needed to be reminded to stop smoking and be faithful to your marriage vows. Don't cheat on your income tax. Be nice to your children. Don't swear. Don't get angry. Love everybody and volunteer to teach Sunday school. All of those things. All of those things. I remember uh, I was in the church in Southern California, and my colleague, Chuck Shields, his dad came to visit one day. And uh, he went to the contemporary service, which was this big, joyous kind of a band and a lot of clapping, a lot of laughing. Uh, and afterwards, Chuck asked his dad what he thought of the worship service. And he said, well, I, I sure enjoyed it, but I don't know if it's right to enjoy church. I was always taught that when you leave church, you should feel like you've done something you ought to do. It should hurt a little bit. Well, that's how some people think. Some people think that you come to church to be told what to do, so that then you can become a good Christian. That's, that's not how it is. It's the, the idea, the general knowledge is that you have to try really hard to act like a Christian so that you can be a Christian. In fact, most people think that's the purpose of sermons, to give you instruction on how you're supposed to straighten up and fly right so that you can be good Christians. Trouble with that is it's backwards. It's the opposite of what Paul says in our text today. In the passage to Ephesians, he urges readers to do a lot of good things. He gives you a lot of good advice, doesn't he? You know, be angry, but don't sin. Don't make room for the devil. If you're a thief, you've got to get another job. Um, put away bitterness, wrath, anger, slander. All of that. Do this, don't do that, all that kind of stuff. But the thing is that when you take a closer look, Paul doesn't tell the Ephesians to do these things in order to be Christians. He tells them to do these things because they are Christians. There's a difference. Paul urges them to do good things not to become Christian, but because they are Christians. He doesn't say to them, you pagans ought to do these things so that you can be good enough for God. Paul says, do these good things because God has already made you. The text doesn't say you should act like somebody. It says you are somebody, so act like it. No wonder people act irresponsibly, immaturely, and worthlessly. How many times in sermons have they been told that they are irresponsible, immature, and worthless? Our text says it differently. It says you people are somebody. You're the ones God loved. You're the ones for whom Christ died. You're not homeless, unloved, wayward nobodies. You're nothing other than royalty. Jesus is your brother. God is your father. You're part of the royal family. Now act like it. Act like it. I wish I could remember that myself every day. I wish I could convey that to my children, my friends, my associates. Because, alas, I usually get it backwards, implying that somehow they have to make the grade with me and God, rather than announcing to them that they have already made the grade, and the 
rest is simply response to what they already are. When a parent sits the son down and says, you need to make something of yourself, the parent implies the son is not worth much in his present state. Another way is to sit the boy down and tell him that you believe in him, you love him, you have high hopes for him, and you know that he's capable of the best. That second way is more like the way of this text in Ephesians. It's hard to be a, a disciple, a Christian. It's hard to do all the right things. because Not because we're nobodies trying to be somebodies. It's difficult to be a king and a queen, to see yourself as God's royal children and trying, as all good children do, to imitate the Father. Did you hear that outrageous call that Paul has in the text that we read? I mean, not only does he say that we're supposed to do all these things, speak the truth, but don't be angry, give up stealing, no evil talk, put away bitterness, wrath, anger, wrangling, not only all of that stuff, but he says, be imitators of God. Is that crazy or what? God is perfect. How do we imitate God? It would be impossible if it were not for the forgiveness, the love, and the grace that God has already given to us through baptism, that we are now the loved, forgiven, grace children of God. And so because we have experienced that from God, then we can give it to other people. In a world of hate, we're able to love because we have been loved by God. In a world of war, we're able to be at peace because God has made peace with us. We can forgive ourselves and others because we know that we have been forgiven. So there's my word for you this day from Ephesians. Just be yourself. Be who God has already made you to be. Live into that. Not so that you can be a Christian, because you are a Christian already. As chapter 5 says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Can you imagine how much better the world would be if we saw each other as created in the image of God? The Bible says that you and I, every person, is created in the image of God, that we are a member of the royal family. John Westerhoff, theologian, used to say that when we walk down the street and we see another person coming toward us, that we should imagine every person is preceded by angels with trumpets, and they are shouting, make way for the image of God. Make way for the image of God. Try that next time you're in Safeway. Somebody's coming down with a big cart, you know, they're blocking your way. It's a crowded Saturday. Just imagine that cart is preceded by angels shouting, make way for the groceries being purchased by the enemy of God, the, the, the friend of God, the royalty of God. Make sure the image of God is announced. C.S. Lewis wrote a little sermon that became one of the most famous sermons in the world. Uh, it's called The Weight of Glory. It was put into a little book. He preached in Oxford at St. Mary's Church during World War II. And um, he talks about this importance of understanding uh, the, the transcendent weight and glory of human beings. He said this, 
There are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals with whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This doesn't mean that we have to be perpetually solemn. We must play, but our merriment must be that of the kind which exists between people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. Your neighbor is the holiest object that you will encounter. You're a royal priesthood. You forgot that when you came and plopped yourself down in the pews this morning, didn't you? Maybe it's time to turn to the person next to you and say, Good morning, Your Majesty. And to respond, Good morning, Your Highness. Let's try that, okay? Go ahead, you know. Announce the royalty that you are among right now. Will Willimon tells a story about uh, he got invited to the birthday party of his friend's son, Clayton. Clayton's four years old, and his mom says, what kind of birthday party do you want to have? And he says, I want to have a birthday party where everyone is either a king or a queen. So his mom went to work. She made cardboard crowns and painted them gold. She made blue crepe gowns with gold lining. And she made scepters out of the tubes of wrapping paper. So that when every person came to the party, they were given a crown and a robe and a scepter. And they had a great time. They enjoyed cake and ice cream. They had a majestic procession to the end of the block and back to show off their finery. They all looked like kings and queens and believed they were kings and queens. And they even acted like kings and queens. They all behaved in a most regal manner. And that night when everyone had gone home and mom was tucking Clayton into bed, he said, you know, mom, I wish everybody in the whole world could be a king or a queen. Not just on my birthday, but every day. Well, folks, something like that happened 2,000 years ago. We became kings and queens. We became part of the royal family at a place called Calvary. We who were nobodies became somebody. We who were outsiders, aliens to the promise of God, were adopted into the family. We were made part of the royalty. And you know, if we could believe that, if we could remember that and believe that and start acting like that, well, as the old song says, what a wonderful world that would be. In the movie Cider House Rules, Michael Caine, the actor, plays a character named Dr. Wilbur Larsh, who runs an orphanage in the state of Maine. And every night, as he puts those orphan boys to sleep, before he turns off the light, he says to them, Good night, you princes of Maine. Good night, you kings of New England. Good night. So forth, so today, as we go forth from this place, having been at the table of the Lord, 
Remember that you go forth as princes of Piedmont and queens of California. Amen.
friends, this is the joyful feast of the people of God, the royal feast of the people of God. We are called from wherever we have come in this past week, from high places and low places and in between, to join together around this table. The Bible says that people will gather from east and west and north and south to sit at table together in the kingdom of God. And so we are here today to meet Jesus with these ordinary elements and among ordinary people. The Bible says in the Gospel of Luke that as the risen Christ was walking down a road to Emmaus with a couple of his disciples on that first day of resurrection, they didn't recognize him. They walked and talked for a long time, hours. They didn't know who he was until they sat down together and they broke bread together and then their eyes were open and they recognized the risen Jesus Christ for who he was. So may we also today, no matter who we are, what we've done, where we come from, where we're going in life, may we also recognize the risen Christ with us. Let's join now in the great thanksgiving. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. Lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give God thanks and praise. Let us pray. Holy God, with the entire company of angels and saints in heaven and on earth, we do worship and glorify you, God most holy, evermore praising you and saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your splendor. All glory be to you, O Lord most high. And Lord most high, come to us now in this low, ordinary, everyday place. And take these ordinary elements, feed us as regular people, but also as people who are sanctified by your spirit, fed by the sacraments with the presence of Christ, so that we are lifted up to bear your image as your royal sons and daughters. Holy God, feed us now that we might reach out and feed others who are also your beloved royal children. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. And hear now the words of institution of our Lord's Supper. On the night of his betrayal and arrest, our Lord Jesus was at table with his disciples. And as they were there, he took the bread that was before them, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body broken for you. Whenever you eat of this, do it remembering me. In the same way, he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant, which is sealed in my blood, shed for all of you for the forgiveness of sin. Whenever you drink of this, do it remembering me. So whenever we are eating from this loaf and drinking from this cup, we are professing our faith in the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus and indeed, we're looking forward to that time when all of God's children will sit down together and share in the feast that's been prepared in the kingdom of God. Let's pray together now the prayer our Lord has taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, 
and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We'll receive the elements of communion by intinction. That is, as the ushers go up the aisle, invite you to come down the aisle, one aisle, one row at a time, you'll tear off a piece of bread and dip it in the cup and return to the pew by the side aisle. So now come for all is made ready, the gifts of God for the people of God. service here, and so let's just have a quick prayer for her. Lord, we ask that you be with Connie and watch over her, um, give her your healing presence and your health. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I'd also like to invite us all, as we leave the sanctuary today, please leave through the front doors, not the back door. Thank you. Let's uh, conclude by reciting Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.
you to please uh, leave through the front doors here. And as you do, remember that you're going forth as representatives, ambassadors of our Lord Jesus Christ. So live your life this week in such a way that wherever you are, when people see you, they'll see Christ living in you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and always hold you in the palm of his hand. Amen. Go in peace.